We all, it's good to see you here this morning, and uh, we're excited about our dinner on the grounds and everything, but this is a word that, that the Lord has given me for this morning, and I'm, I'm just want to ask if you would open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 18. I'm not sure why the Lord gave me this for this morning, but He did. I got a lot of other things uh, that I believe the Lord's going to have me preach in coming months and weeks and months. We will be starting our uh, we will be starting our series on this this Wednesday on First Peter. So we'll begin uh, that study. We finished Hebrews and we're moving on. But uh, in Genesis chapter 18, let's just pick up reading in verses 20 and 21. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto, my, unto me, and if not, I will know. And y'all, there is a cry of sin. It says here the Lord came down. There's a cry of sin. There's an outcry of sin that the Lord is very aware of, that He hears. And the world may take little notice of the cry of sin. And I would say that the world takes even less notice of the Creator against whom they're sinning day in and day out, minute by minute and second by second. But there's a cry, and the world, the Lord hears it. There's a cry of sin. That's not just an Old Testament thought. There's a cry of sin. And that word cry literally means outcry, to scream. When you look it up, it's this very short definition. It means outcry, to scream, or to shriek. If somebody was scared suddenly in the middle of the night, you know, or something startled you very bad, you know, even guys, you know, we could be scared and let out a scream or let out a shriek. That is the picture here of sin and the cry of sin, the word that's used there. It's similar to, in a different sense, but similar to in Isaiah 58 where the Lord says, Cry aloud, spare not. Tell my people their sin. Let them, make it known to them. He's telling the prophet, you, you let it go. You let it fly. Let the word of truth fly. I want people to know their sin. But well, there's a cry of sin. And it's in Abraham's day, and this, this is an account was in, Ab in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, right before the Lord destroyed it. It was in Abraham's day. His nephew Lot lived in Sodom by this time, and his family was there. And, and Lot did not participate in the sinful things that were going on there, but he was comfortable with it, if you know what I mean. He had compromised to the point where the Bible even says that that righteous man's soul was vexed from day to day. In other words, he was grieved by it, bothered him. He didn't do it. He wasn't guilty of it. And the Lord calls him just and, and a just man. But nevertheless, Lot lived there. Abraham did not. And in this day in which Abraham lived, and in this day of Sodom and Gomorrah, there was a cry arising from Sodom and Gomorrah in, in Abraham's day. It wasn't probably a literal cry that we would hear, but it was rather a cry of sin. It was a, it was a cry of moral sin and decay and depravity and, and uh, rebellion against a holy God. We have a holy God. We have sinful men. Okay? A holy God and sinful man. 
And this cry was reaching up to heaven. It came to the Lord's ears, and it just was uh, reeking uh, and screaming of the sinful acts and the violence that was going on and the immorality and, and so forth that was going on, on there and the uncleanness. And it was coming and arising uh, from their wicked hearts. There was acts of rebellion. There was acts of pride. There was acts of defiance against the Creator. I want you, if you would, to look in your Bibles at Romans chapter 1. We're just going to read a few verses here. We're going to kind of skip around. Romans chapter 1. We're going to start in 21, and then we'll skip down to verse 29. We could read the whole chapter. It all is, is uh, pertinent to what we're talking about. But Romans 1.21, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Here's one of the effects of sin, persisting in sin, okay? And their foolish hearts was darkened. Their hearts were dark. And darkened, and that's one of the things that sin does. Skip down to verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Have you ever thought about that? Just inventing new sins, inventing evil things. This is what they were doing. Uh, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, uh, malignity. I've I written out, sorry. Boasters, dis disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, there is a judgment of God, amen, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. That to me is just a picture of not just a sinful man, uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and all need a Savior. This would be the proud, the boaster who's shaking his fist at God in defiance of God. And, and the Lord turns them over. This would be the state of those in Sodom and Gomorrah in Abraham's day and in Lot's day. And y'all, all of it comes, doesn't come from the TV. It doesn't come from the internet. Those are just tools that man can indulge in their sin. It comes from the heart of man. You don't have to turn, but I'm reading from Mark chapter 7. For from within, out of the heart of man, men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. They're coming out of the heart of man. The Bible says in Jeremiah that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Again, I know we talk about it all the time, but people say, oh, I choose to believe that man is basically good. That is not according to the Word of God, and it's not according to reality and the truth of our own lives. We're not basically good. You can even be kind and dress it up, the sin, and make it look very presentable and respectable to society. But it's from with the heart of man comes murder. Right? It's not from guns. Okay, it comes out of the heart of man, uh, of fornication, adulteries, of blasphemy. It arises from the heart of man. And there was this in, in the day of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, there was this great cry, the Bible says, and the cry was reaching up to heaven. And it was against the holy God in whom these people of these communities were created. They're created in the image of God. That means in his likeness. 
still human beings, but the ability to reason and to love and to, and to be moral and to know God and walk with God and created in the image of God to walk with God. God created man to commune with Him, to fellowship with Him, to walk with Him, to be with Him, to glorify Him, to love Him, to honor Him, to learn from Him, to be like Him on the earth, to represent Him on the earth. And the Bible says the cry of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah was great. That's what it said in that passage that we read, what we opened with. It was great. And that their sins were very grievous. And the Bible says that it came unto the Lord. So He came down. The Lord's in heaven. Okay? He's all over the earth. He's omnipresent. I understand that. But His home is in heaven. And He came down, it says, to see, was it just like He said? And this was the Lord, because if we'd have read earlier in Genesis 18, it says the Lord appeared unto Abraham in, the, in, Mamre, in this place where he was living. And three men, it says, lo, three men stood outside his tent. And so it was a, pre, a picture of the pre-incarnate Christ. That's who was appearing to them. The, the triune God was appearing to them. He came down to see the depth and the fullness of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. He came down to judge it. He came down to judge it. To execute judgment against it. And God's patient and He's merciful with sinners, but there's a time when He's going to judge. I'm glad He's patient. He's been patient in my life. Way longer than I would have been with my life. So we don't have to worry about the Lord not being patient. I'm simply saying He knows in His wisdom that there's a time when that's going to end and there's going to come a judgment. Okay? And He has a, a time of for an individual or for a nation or for cities like we see in this. And I'm just going to read this, uh, this scripture. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the, wick, the workers of iniquity. They shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Sometimes we're troubled about evil men, maybe in politics or people that are around us that are, have such uh, authority and power and influence over our society or the life we live, and or in the media or entertainment, everybody's following after them. And they're wicked. They're ungodly. And he says, "Don't fret yourself. They're soon going to be cut off, like the grass. Evil doers shall be cut off." I'm, I'm getting I'm putting several scriptures together from Psalm 37. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. He has a day coming. If we had been saved by the grace of God, we'd have a day coming as well. But the wicked has a day coming. And the Lord is going to execute judgment. And the sin's crying out, but He's going to always judge in righteousness. He's always going to judge in the right way. He shall judge the world in righteousness, and He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. We know of people that, that um, maybe heard stories or maybe read in the Bible about the unjust judge. They're unjust judges, you know, through life. A lot of them are wonderful, praise God, but all of them are not perfect. And some are far from perfect and even, even unjust and uh, evil. But the Lord's going to judge the world in righteousness. He's going to bring about right judgment. And so He came down in the days of, of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and, he, and there was this cry of sin going out. And reaching up to heaven. He came down to see, was it all together like he thought it was? I don't understand all that perfectly, but he came to see firsthand. 
and to check it out. And when he does bring that judgment, y'all, it's never going to be too early or never be too late. This wasn't one moment too soon. And it wasn't one moment too late. Always. When a sinner dies in their sin, for example, even today in our day, it's not one moment too soon or one moment too late. Or when a Christian who's washed in the blood of Jesus and has the gift of eternal life, when we die, it's not a moment too soon or late. God's judgment will never be too lax or lenient. It'll never be too severe. It'll always be just what it's supposed to be. It's coming from a holy God who knows all things. But the sin reached up to heaven and God comes down to see it. And He sends fire and brimstone. It says, and I'm quoting, from the Lord out of heaven. People today, like a lot of people don't want to think of God as ever doing something like that. That sounds mean. That sounds harsh. That doesn't sound like the God that we serve. And yet he says, I'm the Lord, I change not. I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Amen. Same God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. We are part of a new covenant. We're awaiting the promise of Jesus and He came. But God Himself and His character and His nature and His dealings with men has not changed. Okay? And He came down and He rained fire and brimstone upon the cities and overthrew them. It says it was from, from the Lord out of heaven and all the inhabitants of the cities and all that grew upon the ground. And so it, it all died. And Abraham was afar off, but evidently the Bible says he could see it. He watched it from afar off. And he watched, it says, and lo, the smoke of it, of the country, the whole country, went up as the smoke of a furnace. So when the Lord judged and brought that fire and brimstone from heaven, this is not something that happens every day like this. This was an unusual thing, but it's written for our, our admonition. It's written, written for our example and the Lord judged it, and He watched it like the smoke of a furnace going up. It must have been a horrible sight to witness. But no one gets away with sin, y'all. And there's not one sin in anybody's life that's overlooked or gotten away with. Not one. Not one. It can be forgiven. It's the only way sin can properly be dealt with. Washed in the blood of Jesus. But nobody ever, ever, ever gets away with it. Your worst enemy, the most wicked person you've ever heard of, or yourself, or the kindest person you know. Nobody is getting away with sin. They may not, they might not have fire and brimstone in this life, but if they don't give their life to Jesus, they're going to face fire in the next life. No one slips under the radar. No one's sin goes unjudged. No one's sin goes unpunished. The Bible says, be sure that your sin will find you out. Be sure of that. Okay? Be sure that your sin will find you out. I just want to read this from uh, Genesis 4.10 when Cain, the first murder in the Bible, killed his brother Abel. Abel was righteous and offered the right sacrifice to God. And both human beings, both could have lived the way they should have. Both could have offered what was right to the Lord. But, but Cain was filled with envy and sin and jealousy against his brother. And he killed his brother. He rose up in the field and it says, and slew him. And the Lord says, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. He's not getting away with it. I know what you did, Cain. I know what you did. It came from your heart. It was sin. It was crouched at the door. That's the picture that's given in Genesis 4. If you do what's right, you'll be accepted. If not, it's because of sin. It's crouching at your door. 
and it's ready to have the mastery over you. That's basically what that translation is talking about. And so sin did have the mastery over Cain. The blood, his blood was crying out. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The Bible says in Ezekiel, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Okay? But God's heart is a heart of mercy. God's heart is bent or inclined on forgiveness. It's fixed on redemption. We took the Lord's Supper this morning, the communion. God's heart, that's a display of God's heart. He's a holy God. He's a righteous God. He's a just God. He is a God of judgment. But he is, his heart is one that is fixed on redeeming mankind, on the forgiveness of sinful man. He would much rather, how many of you know this as a character of God, this is a true statement about the Lord, he would much rather forgive than judge. I don't have to make that up to make myself feel good and like paint pictures of flowers or something like that all fluffy about God. God's Word says that. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. So who's he merciful to? Sinners. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah had they called upon him. In, in Jonah's day, when he went through Nineveh for three days' journey, because that's how big the city was, walking through the city one way, three days, and he's crying, repent, repent. The Lord's about to judge. And God, God spared those wicked people because they humbled themselves. I'm not saying they all got saved, but they humbled themselves before the Lord. And they repented in sackcloth and ashes. And God even spared the cattle, it says. I don't know why it says that in the Bible, but it says He spared all these people that can't discern the left hand from the right and much cattle. I mean, the Lord's merciful, even the cows, okay? Because in Sodom and Gomorrah, it says everything was killed. The people were killed and all that grew upon the ground and the land was killed. In the flood of Noah's day, every living thing that breathed died except what was safe on the ark. And so sin has consequences. Sin, uh, its wages is death. Nobody slips under the radar. Nobody gets by and says, well, mine's not as bad as Hitler's. Mine's not as bad as, as uh, Osama bin Laden. Mine's not as bad as the people in Angola. But, but we're all sinners. Nobody is slipping under the radar with their sin. And no single sin in anybody's life, lost or saved, is slipping under the radar. It's not. It's dealt with one way. Completely and put away as far as the east is from the west, praise God, through the blood of Jesus. But it never slips through the cracks. You understand what I'm saying? We as parents, and I can relate, and God's our Heavenly Father. It's such a perfect example. God's a good Father. And we try to be good parents to our children, especially if we're born again and bring them up in the ways of God. I've let sin go in my children's life before, but just because I didn't feel like dealing with it, maybe. I was tired. I corrected him 1,500 times about this. I'll let it go on the 1,501st time. I'll just let it slide a little bit. I'm going to bed. I just We do things like that. But never does the Lord do it. He never winks at it and just will let this one go. Never. Never. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took all the sins of the world upon Himself. Everyone. Sins that hadn't been committed yet in a sense... In that sense, he's paid for the sins of the whole world. Everyone, every little white lie, every little thought in your heart, oh, I can't stand that person. You know, every little thing in our lives, 
that's sinful in every big thing and all the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. He took it all upon himself. His heart is inclined to forgiveness. His heart is inclined to uh, delivering. And you know, God, we saw that in, the, in, in we know the story, uh, their account here where the Lord, Abraham interceded on behalf of his nephew Lot, right? He loved his nephew Lot. And we see God's heart. What would God rather do? Well, we see it right there. Lord, if you would destroy that city if there was 50 righteous there, you wouldn't let the righteous be killed as though they're one of the wicked. That'd be far from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? You wouldn't do that, Lord. No. I'll spare the whole city. All their vileness. All of, I'll spare the whole city if there's 50 righteous men there. Well, Lord, don't be mad. I want to ask one more time. What if there's five less than 50? What if there's 45? And he gets all the way down and says, Lord, it's one more time. I'm going to take it to speak. If there's five righteous people, he said, I won't destroy it. I'm just Amen. thinking about the mercy Amen. of God. Yes. Amen. Yes. Yes. He swore that. He would say, I wouldn't destroy it. But there's five. Thank you, God. And their sins reaching heaven. He said, I won't destroy them. There's five. Thank you, God. He has a heart to redeem. He would much rather redeem than judge. He was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Sin separates a man from God. But his heart is a heart of redemption. Sin is a disruption of God's order in his creation because he created men to be with him, to fellowship with him, to commune with him. Sin brings a ruin to a man's relationship with God. To a right relationship with God. And the Bible says in Romans 5 that therefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin for that all have sinned. Therefore death was passed upon all men. It was by Adam's sin that was passed on. And it brings a separation. It brings death. It brings a spiritual death. It introduced death into the world. Not just physical death, but the spiritual separation, which is far worse. I want you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. We know what happens in Genesis 3. It talks about the serpent was more subtle and came and said, Yea, if God said in Genesis 3.1, you should not eat of all every tree of the garden. He has this discussion with, with Eve, and she falls into the sin. The Lord had said back in chapter 2, verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of the good of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Very plain and simple, very clear and cut cut and dry. The day you eat of it, you're going to die. And Satan comes and brings deception, and he brings confusion, and he brings the slightest bit of doubt to the word of God. It was spoken very clear. There was not a doubt to it. It was the day you eat of it, you're going to die. And there's a period there. And the devil says, are you really going to die? 
if you eat of the fruit? Did God say you couldn't have everything that's in the garden? And they start this discussion. And then if you'll skip down to chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. And this is after they both sinned. Eve sinned, and then she gave it to her husband with her, and he ate as well. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God wanted to be with them. God wanted to commune with them. God loved them. He came down to commune with peons like us, human beings, that he created in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam because he's calling them. It's a call of come to me. It's a call of redemption. It's a call of confession. It's a call of repentance. And, Adam, and, he, and he said, Adam, where art thou? He called unto Adam, where are you? And you just see the heart of God that he's still desiring them. He's still wanting to be with them and, and to fellowship with him. And his heart is bent on redemption. It is a heart of love. He came to seek and to find. He desires to seek and to find. He desires to deliver and to restore and to forgive. That's his heart, y'all. And so way back there in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve first sinned, in verse 3, he's pronouncing the curse, speaking specifically to the devil. And I will put enmity between thee and the seed of the woman. Between thy seed and her seed. And he says, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. If you've ever looked that up, it's the same word in English, bruise and bruise, but it's not the same definition. It means that, that Jesus is actually going to crush the devil's head under his heel. He's going to break that power of sin and that hold off a of man. It's not that and when it says that Satan's going to bruise his heel, it has to do with uh, maybe inflict some injury. Okay? But Jesus Christ... And that's who this is foretelling because he has a heart of redemption. And when there's a first sinner and a first sin, there's a need for a Savior. Of course, he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. There's mysteries of God. But it was foretold and promised to these two first sinners while they were still living and breathing, there's a Savior coming. And he's going to crush Satan under his heel. They heard him pronounce this. And Satan heard it as well. And so God's cry... We talked about the cry of sin, but God's cry is a cry of salvation. His cry is a cry of redemption, restoration, and uh, restoring people unto God. Just listen, to, if you don't believe we know God's heart, or you think He's a cruel and just loves to punish people, just listen to this from Ezekiel 18.23. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? Saith the Lord God, and not that He should return from His ways and live. What's going to bring me pleasure? He's saying, y'all need to listen. You don't know me well enough. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? The, the Lord has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That doesn't bring him joy. Like, yeah, I finally got them. They got what they deserve. His heart's breaking even as they're being judged and dying and going to hell. His heart's breaking. He says, and not that he should return from his ways and live. That's the heart of the Lord. Sin cries out, but God cries out to sinful man. He that is love, loves with the purest love of all. And he that is love is not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. This is not some sloppy grace where you just throw it, along and, uh, throw it out and it's because God loves everybody, everybody's going to go to heaven one day. Because God is so gracious and full of grace, 
that everybody's just going to go to heaven one day, but it does show the heart of God that He loves, and He loves for men to repent and give their lives to Him. He's not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. His desire is that for men is that they be saved. As plain and simply His desire, His longing heart is that men be saved. His heart for men is that they come to Him by faith in His Son Jesus Christ and are reconciled unto the Lord. And listen to this. And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. And it says, In whom we have redemption through the blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And then Paul says in 2 Corinthians, Now we are the ambassadors of Christ, as though God did to beseech you by us. Paul's saying, I'm out here preaching the gospel, and me and Parvis or whoever he's with, we're out here preaching you the gospel, and it's as though God is beseeching or begging you through us. As though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. That's the Lord's heart. He's telling everybody, He's telling people in 2018, this isn't some old time stuff. He's crying out, be reconciled to God. And Paul said, it's God beseeching you through us, through this gospel, through our lives, through the miracles, through the signs and wonders, through the love and compassion that is not us, but the Holy Ghost in us, crying out to you. We're His ambassadors. Ambassador is one who's sent with authority. He's not just a representative. He's one sent with authority and power. And so he says, and Christ is beseeching you through us. We talked about prayer this morning in Sunday school, and we're doing our series in prayer on Sunday mornings in Sunday school. And I believe as we're mighty with God in prayer and growing with the Lord in prayer, he, our heart's going to be touched with His heart. And that's going I want that to be my heart. I'm not saying it is, but I want it to be my heart because I know it's my God's heart. I know it's His heart. And He that is love is loving men still. He's not going to compromise His standard of salvation through faith in Christ alone but his heart is pleading with man. We beseech you. And God is beseeching you through us. Be reconciled to God. That's his prayer, and that's what he's calling out for. And this is his heart, and this is God's cry to sinful man. I want you to turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles, to Matthew chapter 23. This is getting on, you know, pushing on towards the end of, at least in Matthew's Gospel, towards the end of, Jesus' earthly ministry is getting closer to the cross. And he says in verse chapter 23, verse 34, I want you to see the Lord's heart just in this. Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets. He's speaking in Jerusalem. I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes. Well, that's what the Lord sent. The Lord sent prophets. He sent wise men. He sent scribes on His behalf, sent by God, just like Paul was sent. And some of them you shall kill. And some of them crucify. And some of them shall you scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. Well, they did that. And they're still doing that. That upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth. From the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And a lot of people think that the Lord was weeping at this time. The Bible doesn't specifically say 
that he was literally crying, you know, like we would cry. Um, he might well have been. But we still see his heart here. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. But we see the Lord's cry. I sent prophets to you. All through the years, I sent wise men, I sent scribes, I sent people to you to tell you the truth, to turn you from your sin and wickedness, to bring you back to me, to show you there's forgiveness, to show you there's mercy and restoration and salvation. And you wouldn't. You took the prophets I sent and you killed them. And you stoned them. And and he, he says, I wanted to. Jesus himself, how often I wanted to gather you together. I mean, what a, almost like a silly little picture. We used to, my brother and I used to raise chickens when we were little. You know, chickens running around. And I wanted to gather you together like a mother chicken would gather her little chicks under her wings for protection. I wanted to do that. It's a picture of God's heart. There's a cry of sin, but there's a cry of God. Be reconciled to God. And that's the Lord's cry. Why will you die, O house of Israel, the Lord said. Sin cries out, but the loving heart of God cries out as well. I'll tell you what he cries, and this is from Isaiah 53. Let the wicked forsake his way. This is what God's saying. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon this is before the cross, before Jesus came. You know why? This is just a picture of God's heart. We know it was all completed in Jesus. And we're part of this new covenant. And we have a historical Jesus that came. And we can take the Lord's Supper and understand that the long-awaited Messiah came. But God's heart all along was this. Let the wicked forsake his way. Sodom, Gomorrah, before he destroyed them. Let the wicked forsake the way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord. And guess what the Lord will do? He will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Isaiah 55, 7. Here's where that came from. What a beautiful scripture. Sin destroys. Sin results in death. Sin separates. Sin uh, deceives. Sin darkens men's hearts and their understanding, the Bible said. Their foolish hearts were darkened. That's what sin does. And we just build it sin upon sin upon sin. The Lord can break through all that if we'll just turn to Him. If we'll just turn and lift our eyes up from ourselves and our wickedness and look upon the risen Savior. Look upon Calvary. Look upon what He did at Jesus. He breaks through. His light is strong enough. He's the light of the world to break through the darkened heart. It's evil and it's calloused over with sin. And just hard and nothing can penetrate it, but God can penetrate it. If it just but turn, He doesn't have to fix Himself up and make Himself Christian and make Himself presentable to God. He needs to turn to the Lord in the hardness of His heart, but by faith and turn to Him and say, Save me. I need You. I'm in the depths of sin. I'm as low as low can be. And Lord, I feel like I'm heading lower. Lord, I see. God, forgive me. And the Lord can lift Him up. And he wants to. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but he has pleasure when a man turns to him. There's a Savior, and the Lord is that Savior. And I want to read this, and this is a. Jesus speaks about this in John chapter 3 as well, but the actual 
real story happened in Numbers 21. Y'all can just listen. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent. Y'all remember that story? And set it on a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. And Jesus says all these years later, when he's talking to Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believes in him shall be saved. Thank you. And not come into condemnation and not but but have everlasting life. What was happening, and this was the children of Israel out in the wilderness, uh, they were complaining and grumbling about, against the Lord. One of many times that they complained and grumbled. Moses didn't. Joshua didn't. Caleb didn't. But as a whole, the people grumbled against the Lord. We want to go back to Egypt. The gods that let's go worship the gods of Egypt again. God's a mean God. He brought us out here for mischief. He brought us out here to kill us. Lie, 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 lie. It's one thing to sin. It's another thing to be accusing God of something that He's not or character. We've made it very clear. He's a heart of love and compassion and mercy and forgiveness. And they're saying He's none of those things. He's bad. He's mean. He can't take care of us. He doesn't want to take care of us. He brought us out here to kill us like a bunch of pigs out here in the wilderness. And, and God sent fiery serpents upon, among the people. Snakes. And they're biting people. And people are dying from the bites. And Moses, what does he do? Falls on his knees like he always does. Like Abraham did for his nephew Lot. Interceding. Because he knows the heart of God. He knows God doesn't want to destroy these people. Even for his great name's sake, he falls on his knees. Lord, and you know, and the Lord says, Moses, you may get this serpent and put it up on a pole. I mean, there again, what a if you didn't know about Jesus coming and all that, it would just seem like a silly thing. They're getting bit by snakes, and I want you to make a brass snake, put up on a pole and lift it up. Whoever's bitten by the snake, when they look at the snake on the pole, they're gonna live and not die. It was just a little picture of salvation, but people were really saying it says it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. So it worked because God wanted it to work. But that was also a picture of his son coming. Whoever sinned, so picture this sin, sin is what's killing people. It's wages of sin, is, wages of sin is death, right? And so our sin destroys us spiritually. So he takes Jesus and makes him sin for us. He never sinned, but he's basically putting sin upon that cross. Putting it on Jesus and Jesus bearing the weight of the sin. The Bible does say he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteous of God in him. Whoever looks upon him by faith is going to live. And what was killing us is sin, but he took our sin on the cross. And he's paying the price, has paid the price for us on the cross. And so Jesus is the Savior of the world. And the Bible says that um, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And the Lord's a redeemer. And I'm going to bring this to a close. I know it's not uh, very long this morning, but it's what the Lord has for us, but He restores and He reconciles and He washes clean. The Bible says even God who quickens the dead 
and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Who else can quicken the dead? Nobody. Nobody. A lot of people can kill. A lot of people can commit sins and do wicked things. And, but even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Christ in Christ alone is the answer for man's sin. Christ in Christ alone is the Savior for sinful men. And, and the Bible said here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. He loved you when you didn't know Him. He loved me when I didn't know Him. He loved the, loved the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, he knew every one of them by name? And every hair on their heads, those wicked men, all kinds of vile things going on there. And He loved every one of them. Here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That propitiation means the atoning victim. To be the atoning victim for our sins. There's a cry of sin. It reaches to the Lord and there's a cry of God from His heart to redeem men from their sin. And there's one more cry. And the Lord always hears it and He hastes to help. And that's the cry of a sinful man calling out to the Lord for salvation. He'll always hear it. David cried out of the depths of sin, sinking in the miry uh, clay. Not a physical thing. Cried out to the Lord. The Lord lifted him up out of the miry clay, set his feet upon a rock, and established his goings and so forth. God will always hear that cry. Always. You say, well, what about the poor little kid that, you know, over in the Muslim country doesn't have a chance? They have a chance. That's another sermon for another day. But, the, but they have a chance. Because God put it in their hearts, even that little child's heart, with the knowledge of sin is also a knowledge of God. Even His eternal power and Godhead is revealed in creation. Even in His conscience, He knows it's wrong to steal from something. He'll always hear the cry that's of, the, of the sinful man who's calling out to, them, to Him. And He'll always hasten to help for salvation, for deliverance from their sin. God will always hear that cry and it'll always be filled with mercy and forgiveness. No matter how far the sinner has strayed, no matter how grievous his sin is, he'll always be merciful. I'm going to close with a few psalms and the altar's open, y'all, even now. I'm not sure why the Lord gave me this this morning, but I know He did. And I just want to quote some psalms. When He maketh inquisition for blood, He remembereth them. The Lord remembers. He forgets not the cry of the humble. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble, which I suffer of them that hate me. I sought the Lord, and He heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. Thou that liftest me up from the gates of death. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all of his troubles. And we're talking about a cry this morning. Right? We start with the cry of sin. And the cry of God's heart to redeem sinful man. And the cry of a sinner calling out to the Lord. He said, this poor man cried. And y'all, that's all we are is poor men. Just poor in every way. Just poor, pathetic. No good. And this is not self-pity. This is just the truth. What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou uh, visits him? This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. These altars are open, y'all.
this comment and come. I'm going to read just a couple more scriptures. Ask God what you would have, He would have you to do with this, this word today. For He shall deliver the needy when He crieth, the poor also in Him that hath no helper. A lot of people don't have any helper. None of us has a helper for our sin other than the Lord. He shall spare the poor and the needy and shall save the souls of the needy. He shall redeem their soul from deceit and from violence. And precious shall be shall their blood be in His sight. reading these as y'all pray. When you cry, God's going to hear. He's going to hear that humble cry. That cry when there's nobody else to help and you call upon the Lord. He's going to hear you. David said, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I will wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait. And in His Word do I hope. So Father, we just come before You this morning. And God, I want to thank You. The cry of sin is great. It's great in our world today. It's great in our community right here. The, the cry of sin is grievous. The sin is great and very grievous. It's all around us, God. And at times in our own hearts and lives, God. But there's also a cry of a Savior. You came to seek and save them that were lost. You came for that purpose. You said your gospel is sounded out. It's sounding out through the world. There's hope. There's salvation. There's forgiveness. There's rest of restoration. You, there's eternal life. We don't have to live in darkness. Our foolish hearts being darkened. Our minds blinded. We can be delivered. People can be delivered, God. The wicked that are all around us can be delivered. You're still the Savior. You're still the answer. And your cry is be ye reconciled to God. And Lord, you're always going to hear the cry of that humble sinner turning to you, still in their sin, but turning to you for salvation and forgiveness. You'll always hear it, God. And Lord, I just want to thank you, first of all, for the great forgiveness in my own life of my sin, even to this day, daily forgiving me of my sins. But I also want to pray for myself and for every person here that knows Jesus. God, that you would give us that heart. Maybe some and probably do in this room have a great much greater heart for the loss than I do, God. But I want it. And I want to want it more, God. And I pray that You would let us see that. We would much rather forgive than to judge. Much rather redeem than to condemn someone to hell. Lord, would You give us Your compassion for the people around us. And let us live it out, God. Today, there's a new day tomorrow if you, if you don't rapture us. 
we'll run into sinful people tomorrow all day long. And this isn't even just a soul winning sermon. It's a, it's a sermon for your heart, God. That you would put it upon our hearts that we would know it. That person is so mean and so rebellious and yet you love them. And you spare the whole city. If there was five righteous, that wicked city, you would have spared it, God. There weren't five righteous people there. You rained down in the fire and brimstone, but you had no pleasure in it. You had pleasure in getting Lot out. Let us be like Abraham and intercede for brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and cousins and children and parents and friends and co-workers and that we would have that heart of intercession, God. Would you make us that, God? At least begin it in us, Lord. And further us along in that.